Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Excellent. How many of you love how much snow we got? How many of you are ready for it to be done? It's basically 50-50. You can come to my house. Uh, on Thursday, I live on Upper Tyner in the North Pole. Up on, woo, some fellow compatriots. Yes, there you are. The roofers came and shoveled our roof, and I stood on my third floor balcony, eye level with them, and talked about, it was crazy. It's, it's a lot of snow. It's a lot of snow. But it's good. We need it. And uh, it just means a little less flabby from all that shoveling. So it's good. It's, it, we're all winning. And hey, let me, let me just encourage you, in case you missed the announcements, uh, please come to the Cornerstone Summit uh, after service today, we're really excited to just share with you the direction the church is going, the things we're just praising the Lord for. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to come actually and ask questions. We're going to give you a, a Q&A time at the end and, and just allow you to, to come and bring any, any uh, concerns or things before the congregation. And we're, we're really excited about that. So, well, if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. One of our lovely ushers will bring you a copy of God's Word, and you are always welcome to take that home and keep it if you don't own a copy of God's Word. We are in Exodus chapter 17 this morning. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And we've been looking at the nation of Israel as they wander through the wilderness. Now, chapter 17 is the final stage of Israel's journey before they get to Mount Sinai, right, where they, get, they receive the law. And this last stop is at a place called Rephidim. And it's a, yet another example of Israel's faithlessness and God's patience and mercy. You see, I want you to remember that as Israel's been wandering through the wilderness, they, they've experienced several significant crises. In Exodus 15, we saw they had a lack of drinking water. That was the story where Moses threw the log in the bitter pool and the water became sweet. And then last week, Tony shared with us from Exodus chapter 16, where the people grumbled, grumbled because they were hungry and had a shortage of food. And Yahweh provides manna and quail for his people in the wilderness of sin. Now here in chapter 17, they're again going to have a lack of drinking water. This is, a, you know, they're in the desert. It's pretty normal. But these crises, they were, they were difficult trials in the Israelite people's lives. And they spent most of their time in the wilderness complaining. That was what they really, if you, you want to sum up what they did best, complaining is the, is the one. You put it at the top. But despite Israel's grumbling, despite their many failures, Yahweh does not bring to them judgment. He's gracious, patient, and long-suffering. In fact, he shows them his grace and his mercy despite their disobedience and their lack of faith. And all of this, Yahweh has been teaching Israel a lesson. He's preparing them for something to come. 
Now, despite the fact that these were hard circumstances, incredibly difficult situations, it's, it's easy for us to look at Israel and criticize their behavior, right? To criticize the way they responded in these moments. But when we criticize Israel, we miss the significance of actually what was going on in those moments. Uh, we're not saying that they should have trusted Yahweh because their situation wasn't really that bad. No, you, you, you had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that needed water. This was not a small issue. But the things they were dealing with were incredibly difficult, but their response, according to Scripture, is still inappropriate. And it's clear throughout these passages that Yahweh is displeased at the way Israel responds in these moments. Israel questions Yahweh's provision, his plan for their lives, and they look everywhere else except to him for help. This is something Israel struggles with as a nation, really, throughout their history. And if we're being honest, it's something we struggle with throughout our Christian journey. But here in Exodus 17, before they're given the law at Mount Sinai, we see them being tempted not to trust in Yahweh's provision and plan for their lives yet again. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where you were tempted in that same way? To look elsewhere for help instead of running to your God. It's so easy to get caught up in those moments, in those difficult situations, and to look all around us. And often the answer is sitting right smack dab in front of us, right? Now, when NASA began to launch astronauts in space, they found out that their pens wouldn't work in zero gravity, right? So the pen, you know, the ink just doesn't flow. So they hired a consulting firm, and for a decade, 10 years, and $12 million, they developed a pen that would write in any situation. It would write underwater, upside down, backwards, on crazy, whatever surface you wanted to write on, it would write. 10 years, $12 million, and they got their solution. You know what the Russians did? They used a pencil. <laughs> Answer is right there in front of you. So often we get so focused on our problems, on the difficulties that, that are right in front of us, that we fail to see the answer is right smack dab in front of us. So let me ask you all to stand, if you're able, and let's read Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, all together with one voice. The words will be on the screen for you. And I... Can I just say I love to hear your voices read the word of God together. It's just a beautiful thing. So let's read these words from Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. A little delay in the... So Moses cried to the Lord, what? Oh, that's backwards. That's verse 4. Verse 3. There it is. There's five. One more. We're missing six. That's okay. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Thanks for Thanks for flexing on that. You guys did a great job. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Oh, Father God, we just praise you for your, for your precious word, for the fact that we can gather here in this place as your children and worship your holy name. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us who you are, that we would know you and glorify your name by a life submitted to you. So be with us now. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You can sit. So we said several times throughout this series that Yahweh has been teaching the people how to live by grace in the wilderness. How to live by grace in the midst of their trials. Now, living by grace in the wilderness means trusting that your God will provide, trusting in the wisdom of where he's leading, how he's leading, and being obedient to his instructions and his commands, even in the midst of hardship. You see, God is the one who's taken Israel on this journey. And at every turn, he is showing them that he cares, that he has a plan, that he has a provision for their needs. And yet at every turn, Israel is responding in disobedience. They're showing the Lord they don't want to live by grace in the wilderness. Now remember the big picture of what's actually going on here, right? God is preparing the people to do what? To worship and glorify him. Right? He was trying to make a name for himself, not just among the Israelites, but amongst all the world. To create a people who would become more like him. And he uses the wilderness to provide them with an opportunity to worship him in every area of, the li of their lives, despite the hardships they're faced with. This is what he's doing with us as well. He takes us through wilderness situations, through difficult circumstances of life to mold you into the image of his son, Jesus. The Lord desires a people 
who will worship him with their whole lives. Not just when things are good, but to worship him from the depths of their hearts in faith, by obedience, in season and out of season. And he's preparing us for that. And sometimes he has to prepare us for that by bringing us through trials, through the wilderness. Now let's look together at verses 1 through 3. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin in stages. According to the commandment of the Lord. Who's leading them? Who's telling them where to go and how? The Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now notice in verse 1, they move from the wilderness of sin to this next place, Rephidim, in stages. So there's a lot of people. They're not just all hurting in one big clump. Right? They're kind of moving in groups. And they're going where the Lord wants them to go. It says he commanded them to move there and to move there in stages. So the situation that they're in is no accident. They didn't get to Rephidim and be like, oh, we made a mistake. We went the wrong way. This is not where we should have been. And again, they get to this location and there's no drinking water. Again, Rephidim is this location on the way to Mount Sinai. And the children of Israel are on their way to this region called Horeb, right, where, where they're going to receive the law of God on Mount Sinai. And Rephidim is this last stop on this leg of the journey. And although Rephidim is technically an oasis, it should have had water, they get there and there is none. And of course, then their response is predictable because they do in what they do best. Grumbling, complaining. They even at this point begin to attack Moses and accuse him of it being his fault. It said real clearly the Lord led them. And then when things go wrong, they're like, yeah, it's Moses' fault. I'm going to take it out on him. And then there in verse 2, Moses responds. He asks them, hey, why are you quarreling with me? What? This isn't my problem. Why do you test the Lord? You see, their argument with Moses isn't actually directed at him. He's just the vessel. He's the scapegoat, as it were. Their issue, their grumbling and complaining is directed at Yahweh himself. And look at the ridiculous claim they make against Moses in verse 3. This is how bad their grumbling gets. Why did you, Moses, bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? And our children and our livestock with thirst. As if Moses is standing around going, I know how to kill all these people. And take them out into the wilderness and dehydrate them. It, 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 fascinatingly enough, the Hebrew here is actually more akin to uh, an angry mob coming to attack Moses. That's really the situation that's going on. It's not like... 
you know, they sent a few representatives to have a nice discussion with Moses. They are attacking Moses. And he's fearing for his life in this moment. It's explosive, right? Moses knows he's in trouble. Now, the real issue here is that although there's no water, Israel is no longer trusting God to provide. Now, they're, they're happy in the wilderness when God gives them some manna from heaven, some quail. Actually, they complain about that too, but, but they're happy at least they're fed. And it's as if their allegiance to the Lord is conditional. You know, as long as you, Lord, give us the things we want, we're doing all right. Our relationship is fine. As long as you give us the things we like, I'll worship you. As long as you make me comfortable, you and I, God, have no beef. Is this how we respond to the Lord? Lord, I trust you as long as my marriage serves my needs. Lord, I'll trust you as long as my kids behave the way I want, even though they're most, more like me and that's the way they're behaving like that. Right? Lord, I will trust you and worship you as good and as wise as long as things are going how I want them to go. Church family, is your relationship to God is your allegiance to him conditional on your circumstances? Do you love and worship him because your life is easy? Because you have the things you need? Or because things are working out the way you plan them? There's a, there's a tough question to ask yourself, and I challenge you to just wrestle with this this week. If things don't go as well as they might be going now, does your allegiance to God change? If he takes a family member or disease comes or work financially collapses, whatever, is your allegiance to your God conditional, conditional based on your circumstances? This is where Israel's at in this moment. They're happy to call him Yahweh and Lord, and yes, we will follow you wherever you lead us, as long as you give us what we want. Because that's not how it works. And I love how Moses responds to this crisis. Look at verses four through six. It says, Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I love that Moses' first response to this trial is prayer. His first response to a difficult situation is to run to Yahweh in prayer. Now, Israel don't begin that way. They begin by attacking their leader. And Moses felt so threatened by the people of Israel that he goes to Yahweh and he prays, what am I going to do? 
These people are going to kill me. This isn't an overreaction on Moses' part. His life is probably really on the line. You know, mob mentality is a scary thing. Especially when you don't have basic needs like drinking water and you're out in a hot desert. And though this could be a situation where Moses mistrusts the Lord as Israel did, he instead runs to Yahweh in prayer. His response to this crisis is to trust God and run to him for the answers. And what a beautiful example for all of us. And and let's look at how Yahweh responds to the situation there in verse 5. God gives Moses three specific commands. He tells Moses to pass on, to go ahead of the people, to take some of the elders of Israel with him, and make sure you take your staff, the staff where you struck the Nile. Not any old staff, not a stick he finds on the ground, but a specific staff. Now this staff is a reference back to Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, where Moses takes his staff and he strikes the Nile River and the water becomes undrinkable. Now the Lord is going to use this same staff to make drinking water available for his people. Uh, God tells Moses exactly what he's going to do. He says, hey, Moses, I'm going to be there. When you get to this place, I'm going to be there standing on the rock before you. And then he tells Moses, you strike that rock with your staff, and the Lord will provide for his people water to drink. You see, this is God continuing to demonstrate his mercy and his care to his children, even in the midst of their suffering. The people disobey Yahweh, they grumble, they complain, they attack their leader, and Yahweh blesses his people. This is what he does over and over again. And let me give you a lesson out of this because it's a significant one. Before Israel ever gets to Sinai and receives the law, they were being taught that they had nothing to do with their salvation. That it was God who delivered his salvation to them, regardless of who they were and how faithful they were. They surely didn't deserve God's salvation at this point. They they deserve destruction, frankly. They faltered and have failed every step of the way so far. But the Lord has still shown them his goodness, his mercy, and his love. And can I tell you, church, that's because our salvation... Your salvation isn't dependent upon how good you are. It's not dependent upon how many good deeds you are or how often you show up at church or even how much faith you have. If it was dependent upon those things, you probably wouldn't have it. But because it's based on God's faithfulness to you, because it's a free gift that he's offered you, And it's dependent upon his steadfast love. It's available to us all. What an incredible gift. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. I'm going to come back to this verse a a lot of times because it's my favorite. And because it just reminds me of how good our God is. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. Man, that verse gives me hope. Because when I have one of those off days where I grumble against the Lord or I fail and I sin, I know that his love for me doesn't change. It doesn't falter or waver. It's not fickle or fleeting. And you and I cannot earn our salvation. There's not some meter up in heaven where God says, well, you finally did enough good things and you made it. His steadfast love is poured upon you despite your sinfulness and rebellion towards him. And it is offered to you because God gave his only son to bring you into a right relationship with him. And all we can say to that is all praise and glory his name for that. Now let's look at verse 7 together. It says, and, and he, Moses, called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's a ridiculous question. Now Moses gives us an interpretation of the, the spiritual, theological significance of this event. And he does so by naming the place where they had this failure. He calls it Massa and Meribah. Now the name Massa means to test. And the name Meribah means to quarrel. Now the people quarreled with Moses and they had tested their God. And in testing him, what they were doing was demanding his provision as a condition for their allegiance to him. We will follow you if you give us water. And if you don't, we'll find a different God. People of God have called into question the kindness and loving providence of their God. Though they have seen him provide again and again and again. God had been nothing but gracious. But the people still rebelled against Yahweh and have the nerve to ask him, is he even here among us? Is he even here with us? We've all asked that question, I'm guessing, in those times of deep heartache and struggle, God, where are you? But we know in our minds that God is omnipresent. He exists in all places at all times. He's always available. He's always here. He's always with us. But there's those moments, those difficult situations where you stop and you think, are you even here? And often it's, I don't really feel you, God. That's our, that's our mind trying to convince us of a truth that's not there. See, Israel has seen God providing and caring for them since they left Egypt. They've seen his faithfulness. Yet in the midst of this difficult situation, they question who their God is and if he's even there. This is the God who had delivered them from Egypt, who had parted the Red Sea, who made the bitter's water sweet, who provided quail and manna, and had certainly proved his faithfulness to Israel so far. His word alone should have been sufficient. Israel's called his faithfulness into question. Israel is a picture of the distrustful nature of our own hearts. 
Because despite the many ways God has cared for us, protected us, delivered us, we still have moments where we doubt him. And although it would have been Yahweh's right to destroy Israel for their disobedience right then and there, the Lord is again gracious to them. He tells Moses to go to this rock, this rock of Horeb, and he says, strike it with your staff. And God himself says he would stand on the rock and will stand before the people and I will provide them with water. We don't know how big this rock is or where it was. Some people think it's like a floating rock that follows them through the wilderness. It doesn't actually matter. It could be a real tiny rock maybe. But I want to make a connection for you. There are two passages in the New Testament I want to look at. The first one is in Matthew chapter 4 verse 6. Where Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourselves down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus' response in verse 7 is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now what does this have to do with Exodus 17? You know where Jesus is quoting from? You know, Jesus, when he responds to Satan, is quoting scripture. That's, that's what he does. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And we don't get, he didn't quote the whole verse. It's a fascinating connection. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, You shall not put your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. He, Jesus is coming back to this moment in Exodus 17. When Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, when he is broken, hungry, thirsty, Satan comes to him and he says, hey, throw yourself down. Don't worry, the angels will grab you. Jesus refers back to this moment in Exodus 17 where Israel puts Yahweh to the test and claims that he isn't with them, that he doesn't care. And Jesus tells Satan, that those who follow him must have allegiance that is absolute. Allegiance that isn't fickle or dependent upon our circumstances or situations because we serve a God who is always with us. And Jesus knew that God was with him there in the wilderness. And he wasn't about to put God to the test or claim that his God wasn't there with him. There's another connection in the New Testament to this story in Exodus 17. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 through 4 tell us this. It says, for I do not, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Man, I don't, this is like a preacher's dream right here. Scripture spells it out clearly. The rock at Horeb that is struck with Moses' staff is 
Christ. It's not a symbol of Christ. It's not a foreshadowing. It was Christ himself. Christ dwelling in the midst of his people and being struck so that his people could have what they need. Paul's point is that despite our trials and temptations, despite the wilderness moments that we find ourselves in, the presence of Christ is always in our midst. He is always with us. The same way he was always present with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And when Paul says that Israel drank from this spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, he's connecting Jesus with this incredible title for Yahweh in Deuteronomy 32, 15. Jesus Christ is the rock. The rock of Horeb. The one who would stand in our place and would be smitten with the rod for the sins of his people. Jesus was struck. And that rod or staff is a symbol of divine judgment. The divine judgment of Yahweh doesn't come upon the people, it comes upon Christ himself. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that by the rod, Jesus was smitten. And by his stripes, we are healed. So when Moses takes that staff and he strikes that rock at Horeb, water flows forth from it. Just as the Holy Spirit flows from Christ the rock that was struck to nourish and equip his church. So here in Exodus 17, we see this incredible picture of God's grace for the salvation of his people. And we see a God who is always with us, who stands in our place so that by his wounds we are healed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful illustration of your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we are a people who don't have to earn your approval We don't have to earn our salvation. We simply trust in the God who made the way for us. We simply trust in the God who took upon divine judgment upon himself so that we could have life and life to the full. So Jesus, we praise you for being the rock We praise you for being a God who would sacrifice and give up everything so that we could have life in you. We praise you, we thank you, and we glorify your holy name. All God's people say, amen.